Welcome to the Daily Boogie. Wednesday night. Thanks for joining us. What an absolute pleasure to be with you. Hope you've had a lovely day. I certainly have. Thank you for joining us on YouTube and on Twitch. The new realm outside the closed-in walls of Periscope. Putting our toe in the water. Testing the boundaries. Expanding. Thank you for joining us. It's good to see you all. Kim Jong-un, the owner and CEO of TAVshow.com, ladies and gentlemen, is in the chat. James R. Angela, not her real name, Stable Genius, is in the chat as well. It's good to see you. Sin Soaked, Renee, Amber, and over there on Twitch, hello there as well. Thanks for joining us. Got a lot to get through. Like I said, I had a lovely day. Uh, someone who hasn't had such a lovely day... I'm sure you've heard by now, is Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort today sentenced again on top of his original sentence. So his current jail time is looking to be just under eight years. Just under eight years. And what I find interesting about this is (laughs) I can imagine the level of frustration that people feel. And it's not necessarily because they're shedding crocodile tears for Paul Manafort, who arguably, I mean, he he became a very, very rich man off the back of the political system, which is in of itself isn't illegal. But obviously he's done some illegal things along the way. And I don't think people would have many qualms with those who do illegal things spending a little time inside, but when taken against the backdrop of everything else that's happening, or should I say not happening, then I can understand why some people begin to question the validity of the justice system once again. Let's start by playing just a little bit little bit of a clip that came out this morning. Uh, by the way, if you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper, or you can hit the Streamlabs link in the description box on YouTube. Become a subscriber to the podcast by hitting that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And of course, if you would like to sentence me, you can do so on Twitter at boogie bumper. Let's rock and roll a little bit of little bit of a clip here. See what they've got to say about Uncle Paul. So after a long tongue lashing from the judge, the sentence turns out to be relatively light, given that he could have gotten a maximum of 10 years in prison on the two counts that he faced. <laughs> I noticed this already. As soon as the announcement was made, people were already coming out and saying, it's too light. He's getting away with too much. Let me just clear that. Do you see what they're doing here by saying that he's getting away with it, that it's too light, that it's it's relatively lenient? Because even though Paul Manafort has been sentenced to just under 10 years in prison, now the spin is going to be, well, he would have got more if it wasn't for his connection to Donald Trump. <laughs> Which, of course, everybody will turn around and say that's nonsense. But that's going to be the new spin. See... He's a privileged white guy who's in league with a criminal like Donald Trump. Therefore, he got a really light sentence and justice has not been done. And we need to go after the other people harder, right? That's going to be the commentary. 
he could very well die in prison. He's 69 years old. And he was indicted as soon as he was sentenced today. On top of another, he could get more time in prison. But that's going to be the line that comes out of the corporate press over the next 24 to 48 hours. And like I said, I don't think people would have any kind of qualm with Paul Manafort seeing the inside of a prison cell for things that he's done if at least the perception, remember we've talked about perception is reality, if at least the perception was that the justice system was layering it on equally to everybody. Who remembers this story from about seven months ago from uh, the county Tucker Carlson? Several months ago in this show, we broke the story of Tony Podesta's lobbying for Ukraine. Podesta, of course, is the founder of the now defunct Podesta Group, which for years was one of the biggest Democratic firms in Washington. He's also the brother of Clinton campaign chairman John Podesta. He's also a close friend and a major fundraiser for Bill and Hillary Clinton. Now, the Podesta Group, we reported, worked with Paul Manafort to lobby on behalf of Ukrainian interests in the United States without properly registering at the time under the Foreign Agent Registration Act, which is called FARA. Manafort got in big trouble for that. He's now being held in solitary confinement. He's looking at a life sentence behind bars. And Tony Podesta, whatever happened to him? Well, tonight we can report exclusively, based on two separate sources we spoke to today, that Tony Podesta has been offered immunity by Robert Mueller to testify against Paul Manafort. In other words, for a near-identical crime, Bill and Hillary's friend could skate and emerge completely unscathed, while Paul Manafort may rot in jail. Only Trust the plan. <laughs> Sorry, I can't resist. I cannot resist. Trust the plan. Paul Manafort's going to have seven and a half, potentially more years in prison to sit around and think about the plan. Was it Donald Trump Jr. who tweeted out something a while ago and said, yeah, about that plan? I'm not sure Paul Manafort's aware of what's going on with the plan, by the way. And that's where I think the, the, the chasm between the rulers and the ruled is widened when people see some walking free for identical crimes and others going to prison. And whether or not those others are going to prison based on their political alignment or their political affiliations is almost beside the point. The perception is there that Paul Manafort is indeed going to prison for his political affiliations. And so the opportunity, once once you've been granted immunity for a specific crime, it's very difficult to be prosecuted for that crime, unfortunately. Kimmy Jong-un says, Ah, Boogie, Q never said Manafort was part of it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Anyway, much to think about there with Paul Manafort. At least he's going to probably do his... At least he's doing his time like a man, unlike the little rat, Michael Cohen. <laughs> the snivelly little rat, Michael Cohen. How much time will Michael Cohen get? He might get the Epstein treatment. Bit of house arrest. Allowed to leave... Uh, he, he, he was under house arrest. He was he was given day leave, I think, for 16 or 18 hours a day. He would only have to come back to prison to sleep, basically. And he would spend time in one of his mansions or his office or in transit between the two. The Epstein treatment. Manafort, on the other hand, going to federal prison, which is not a weekend resort by any stretch of the imagination. I want to do a little quick, want to give you guys a quick little update on what's happening in Brexit. I, I noticed a couple of you were watching with me the proceedings of British Parliament. And if you haven't spent any time watching British Parliament, I endorse it wholeheartedly. It is thoroughly entertaining, far more entertaining than the Australian Parliament, 
far more entertaining than Congress or the Senate in the United States. They really have a good red hot go over in Britain. <laughs> Order! Order! It's, it, it resembles more like a it's more like a Monty Python skit than it is, you know, people trying to run the country. It's incredible stuff. The speaker of the house the speaker of the house talks to people like he's talking to people in a bar. If you can get past all of the lingo, you know. Well, you know, we're moving the motion. The, the, the good honourable member will take a seat. We are moving the motion in order to discuss the vote on Article F. And I, I'm well aware of the rules. I'm not sitting here because I'm some kind of moron, you know. <laughs> Don't tell me what to do. There's people in there who are, like, clearly drunk. Right, <laughs> yeah. I, I do say uh, the honourable gentleman will at least propose, propose to this house so the rules that have been voted for before. This is Article 5 of the, of the standing motion. And it's, it's utterly sensational. But besides all of that... Um, made to hold a third vote on a Brexit deal next week after Commons chaos sees MPs voting to block no deal forever. 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 So basically what you have here is Theresa May putting forward a catastrophe of a deal which saw, you know, tons and tons of money going flowing back to the EU the retention of the Schengen Agreement in some form, which is the free movement of people across borders and one-sided trade deals with the EU, which it, bas- it was basically Brexit in name only, if you want to think of it that way. A bino. And of course, the Brexiteers did not vote for that and many Labor people didn't vote for that. And now... As the deadline approaches, which I believe is the 29th of this month, where if there is no kind of, if there is no all-encompassing trade deal, then Britain just has to leave and have no trade deal, which of course people are then using to suggest that the economy is going to crash, people will be dying in the streets, children won't be able to get their medicines, etc, etc, etc. So the British government was trying to vote today to make sure that that can't happen. And you had Jeremy Corbyn, leader of the opposition in the UK, who is a socialist, uh, not a democratic socialist. Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. no. He's a genuine dyed-in-the-wool, pin-your-colours-to-the-mast kind of socialist. An open and avowed socialist. Uh, blaming Theresa May and the Tories, who, again, are ter- it's a the Tories are a terrible party, and Theresa May is a terrible PM. But blaming the Tories for the fact that they didn't agree with the deal that Theresa May put forward, and they don't agree that there shouldn't be a deal. And once again, the good people of Britain get dragged over the coals. And I was thinking about it, it's funny, because I was watching the low-information dribblers in the chat, many of which I assume come from the UK, taking partisan lines here. Well, those stupid Tories, there should be no exit. And I commented back to one person, well, the only reason the Brexit vote got up was because of Labour voters in the North East. This, this is a very low information audience, isn't it? And just no response. Labour people don't back Brexit. <laughs> just lines, spewing lines. But the Brexit vote happened in the first place, get this, because Conservatives and Labor voters agreed that Britain should stand on its own. That it should be a sovereign nation once again. And the brutal, cruel irony is that the Brexit looks like it's not going to happen. I mean, they're going to drag it out, have votes... They're now voting to undo a vote that they already voted on. People are arguing, we need more time. We need years. Some people are saying, we don't need a time limit. We can't have a time limit. We need an unlimited amount of time in order to enact Brexit, of course. 
you would have to be rather naive to think that when politicians ask for an unlimited time limit that they're actually going to do anything. But here you had it, the Brexit vote got up because of Conservatives and Labor voters agreeing that Britain should stand alone and it looks like Brexit is going to crash and burn because of Conservative and Labor politicians agreeing that people are little more than peasant tax cattle to be ignored, to be ruled over and summarily dismissed when they raise legitimate concerns with the political class above them. Again, I'm going to call back to something I've said many times on this show, trust and verify as well with James. He's probably sick of hearing this line. It's not about me, the voter, versus you, the voter. The new dynamic that exists in Western politics. Once upon a time, we were all two sides of the same coin. We agreed on the fundamentals. Nationalism, Christianity, arguably and the rule of common law, but that no longer exists for a number of reasons, for a multitude of reasons. We could do a whole series of podcasts on why that dynamic no longer exists, but the fact is that it doesn't. And in this new dynamic, in this new paradigm, where we are no longer two sides of the same coin, but a bunch of different coins, the argument is no longer between the left and the right, necessarily, on a lot of issues. As the whole Brexit fiasco shows that even when people, Conservative and Labor, left and right, get together to vote on behalf of their nation, on a matter that is so fundamental as if the nation having the right to govern itself, to write its own laws, Conservatives and lefties got together and agreed that this should be the way. But political operatives, the political class, left and right, conservative and lefty, are getting together to give you a big middle finger. Because they're going to do what they want. To hell with what people want. Fuck them. We're the rulers. We're the kings. We are your overlords. Your concerns are illegitimate. Your lives are irrelevant. Just keep paying those taxes and shut the hell up. So you can see there, it doesn't become a conversation of me versus you, the voter. It's us versus them, the politicians. Some may argue, arguably, the election of Donald Trump is a manifestation of this new reality. He is the anti-venom injected into the body of the dying patient. Not one to go in there and pick a side, but one to go in there and upturn the buffet. Say we've had enough, but... You can be sure that the political class that is against us in the Western world is surely against him as well. I want to move on to an article that I was reading this morning. Get into a little discussion here with you. How many of you saw this? Study tracks China's startling challenge to America in artificial intelligence research. China wants to become the world leader in artificial intelligence by 2030, but a new analysis by Seattle's Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence, or A12, suggests that Chinese researchers are on track to take the lead well before that. The analysis is based on a tally of the most impactful research papers in the AI field measured by AI2's semantic scholar, Academic Search Engine. If current trends continue, within five years, China will surpass us in terms of the top highest impact papers, the Institute's CEO, Oren Etzieno, told GeekWire. The other thing to realise is that citations are what you might call a lagging indicator because the paper has to be published, people have to read it, and they have to write their own paper and cite it. Thus, the analysis is likely to understate China's current influence in AI research. Bottom line is Chinese AI research is startling in quantity and quality. AI2's findings are consistent with what tech uh, analysts have been saying over the past year or two. 
Last year, an analysis by CB Insights found that 48% of the $15.2 billion invested in AI startups globally in 2017 went to China, with just 38% going to US startups. That's just the start. China's State Council has set, to, has set a course to build a $150 billion AI industry by 2030. That's just over 10 years away. I can see people enjoying enjoying the emojis on Twitch. <laughs> and that put expertise in the service of what's becoming a high-tech surveillance society. Etzioni said the AI2 analysis shows that research in artificial intelligence has grown dramatically over the past three decades, from 5,000 published papers in 1985 to 140,000 in 2018. The Chinese Academy of Sciences led the list of China's research institutions when it came to citations, followed by Tsinghua University, the Chinese University of Hong Kong, and Hong Kong University of Science and Technology. If the trend lines are extended, China should surpass the United States this year for the top 50%, next year for the top 10%, and by 2025 for the top 1%. And that should be troubling to people. A totalitarian, nationalistic, militarily expansive regime of over 1 billion people getting ahead of the curve when it comes to artificial intelligence. What prompted me to read that article was something that I read earlier in the day from BBC News. I haven't, I haven't watched this video yet. The world's first robot designed to carry out unbiased job interviews is being tested by Swedish recruiters. But can it really do a better job than humans? Her name is Tengai, measuring 41 centimetres. Oh, she's a little person. Isn't that lovely? And weighing 3.5 kilos, which is 7.7 pounds in the old money. She's at eye level and sits on top of a table directly across from the candidate she's about to interview. Her glowing yellow face tilts slightly to the side. Then she blinks and smiles lightly as she poses for her first question. Have you ever been interviewed by a robot before? Is, is that a disc in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Tengai is the brainchild of Fur Hat Robotics, an artificial intelligence and social robotics company born out of the research of Stockholm's KTH Royal Institute of Technology. The firm has spent the past four years building a human-like computer interface that mimics the way we speak as well as our subtle facial expressions. The idea, according to chief scientist Gabrielle Scanzi, is that it feels much less scary or strange compared to a more traditional robot. Yes, because you need to be comfortable. You need to be comfortable with the introduction of robotics and artificial intelligence in your daily life. We can't have you resisting it. We can't have you finding some kind of problem with this. We've researched for far too long. We've spent far too much money for this to be a failure. Failure is not an option. Let's have a look at the little video here. This is Tengai. She's a robot that's been programmed to carry out job interviews. And unlike humans, she doesn't have any unconscious biases. I can communicate with her using this microphone, although at the moment she only speaks Swedish. She doesn't have any unconscious biases. You would have noticed over the last five years, specifically this language of unconscious bias seeping into our everyday vernacular. Because now it's just assumed that if you interview people, uh, you're going to give preferential treatment because they construe bias for preferential treatment or discriminatory treatment, right? But what are we talking about when we talk about things like unconscious bias? We're talking about, you know, small triggers, small instances of humanity. You know, a smiling face as opposed to an angry face. These people want to make it all about sexism and racism, right? But if we remove the human aspect from the interview process, here's another thing too. If you take all the emotion out of it, because that's essentially what they're arguing for here. We need to take all emotion out of this process of hiring and firing people. 
the very same people who have been telling us that emotion is a key pillar to human existence in the first place. It's pretty dehumanizing stuff. Let's carry on. of job seekers in Sweden, apparently, according to this little report, have experienced some kind of discrimination. Pig's ass. Bollocks. Bollocks. (laughs) Nope. How does this thing learn? NBC News. This was from two days ago. Facial recognition's dirty little secret. Millions of online photo, photos scraped without consent. Why isn't this being talking about, uh, spoken about a little more? People's faces are being used without their permission in order to power technology that could eventually be used to surveil them, legal experts say. Remember our opening article here on this topic. Study tracks China's startling challenge to America in artificial intelligence research. What other things can you think about when you think about artificial intelligence in the Chinese realm? Would it be things like a social ranking system, for example? The surveillance of society, the nanny state? Facial recognition can log you into your iPhone, track criminals through crowds, and identify loyal customers in stores. I've been saying it for years. Did you think that the camera on your phone was there for your convenience, comrade? Do you think that they spend billions of dollars and years of research discovering these little tech gadgets like, you know, facial recognition on your phone merely because it's easier to log in that way? Come on now. That'd be daft. (laughs) The technology, which is imperfect but improving rapidly, is based on algorithms that learn, quote, how to recognize human faces and the hundreds of ways in in which each one is unique. If you sit down with an artificial intelligence algorithm for a job interview, it maps your face. It can tell when you're being perhaps a little facetious. It won't respond to charm. Because anybody who's interviewed anybody will tell you that sometimes the person who gets the job isn't necessarily the best qualified person. Maybe they've got some kind of X factor. Maybe they've got some kind of spark. Maybe they have something that the other candidates don't and that's the something that you want. They could be a little bit, you know, they could be a better speaker. They could be more relaxed. They could be more confident. And all of these things set off little subtle psychological cues in the person who's doing the interview. You're more likely to believe someone who's got an air of confidence when they're asked questions as opposed to somebody who's nervous looking at the floor, stumbling with their words. And maybe you think confidence is more important than you know, having the best resume. Your opportunities in the future, ladies and gentlemen, are going to be limited. Because the the computer doesn't roll that way. The robot has no emotion. It's not triggered by your confidence or your demeanor or the way you present. To do this well, the algorithms must be fed hundreds of thousands of images of a diverse array of faces. Increasingly, those photos are coming from the internet where they're swept up by the millions without knowledge of the people who posted them, categorised by age, gender, skin tone, dozens of other metrics and shared with researchers at universities and companies. Ladies and gentlemen, they are building a dossier on everybody. They are building a dossier on the entirety of Western civilization. What if your photograph is somehow associated? What if you were tagged in some photo on Facebook, right? 
and you know there's somebody throwing up into a toilet somewhere and you're at this party the ai algorithm picks up your face at this party and then brings up that photo in the future at the job interview and you won't be able to say to the robot hey that wasn't me throwing up i didn't know what i was getting into it was just one of those things that happened I mean, they're already dragging shit up from people's past 10, 20, 30 years ago to lambast them with it today. James says, but I thought this was all just a conspiracy. Exactly, comrade. It's not a conspiracy. It's happening right now. You're looking, you're looking here at the death of human freedom in so much as your private life remains private. I, I, I always forget the comedian who said it, but he said something along, and somebody will find this quote and send it to me. Uh, so he said something along the lines of, Orwell was right, except he didn't predict that people would buy the cameras themselves. You know, that 1984 reference where cameras are watching everything you do. He didn't predict that human beings would want to buy the cameras themselves with their own money. But can you imagine... Any photo that you've ever had online is potentially sitting in a database somewhere being used to design AI software that will judge you at a future job interview. Scary stuff, isn't it? As the algorithms get more advanced, meaning they are better able to identify women and people of colour because the robots are racist, a task they have historically struggled with Legal experts and civil rights advocates are sounding the alarm on researchers' use of photos of ordinary people. These people's faces are being used without their consent in order to power technology that could eventually be used to surveil them. That's right. You're already, you know, the politicians in future years are going to come, come back and say, it would be unethical for us to have a database of every human face that's ever posted anything on Facebook or Twitter. And the tech companies will say, what are we, what are we voting on this for? It's already done. It's already done. No oversight. Like, where's you want to talk about congressional oversight? Where's where's the congressional oversight for this? Where are the laws coming in to say, whoa, whoa, whoa? Don't you think it's a little bit? Don't you think you're pushing the boundaries just a little bit by going around the internet and scooping up every single photo of a human face, mapping it, mapping the biometrics of that face in terms of age, gender, and then slapping it into facial recognition software? which is being used to map, you know, the human experience as best as a robot can learn it. Thanks thanks for coming in, Amber. Catch you next time. Don't you think we're going a little too far? No, you don't get that at all. What do you get? You get decrepit, crusty, you know, paleo, paleothic politicians sitting up there with their little name, their little microphone. Well, when I log into the Google, if I put if I put my name into the Google, then the first two pages are negative stories about our tax plan. Now, sir, can you can you confirm or deny that this is rigged? That's what you get. That's the level you get. Or on the flip side, all you get on the flip side is Everything that the Republicans say is a conspiracy theory. They are mad. They are making it up. Right-wing conspiracy theories. But right or left? <laughs> Sinsake says, the robots will know me by my name. Sinsake. James says over on YouTube, uh, over on Twitch, the app rocks. The latest company to enter this territory is IBM, which in January released a collection of nearly a million photos that were taken from the photo hosting site Flickr and coded to describe the subject's appearance. IBM promoted the collection to researchers as a progressive step towards what? Reducing bias in facial recognition. Wow. God, God bless those good people at IBM. 
taking millions of photos off the internet in order to reduce bias in facial recognition. Got another little short video for you here. Again, this is this isn't happening sometime in the future. This isn't happening, you know, five years down the track, ten years down the track. We'll address it when the time comes. They've they're already drawing the roadmap. You have already accepted the new normal, the normalcy bias of having your photo taken everywhere you go. Logging into your phones with facial recognition software. You've already accepted this as the new normal. You've already accepted the idea that social media companies can, you know, without, without, without some kind of court appearance, without some kind of appeal, just indiscriminately remove people from their platforms as they see fit. You've already accepted that as a normal. We've already accepted mass overreach from governments in the Western world, haven't we? Into our personal lives. Generally, as a population. The few of us who haven't accepted it, Lady Fritzer, well, we're going to be left behind. Let's play this little clip here. Hello, my name is Vera and I'm a robot. And what's your name? Hi, my name is Jason Bellini. This is Vera, a robot that does job interviews. What are the three top important tips for a salesperson? She's done 10,000 of them and counting. Congratulations. We chose you as one of the best candidates for a sales representative. What looks like the future is already a reality. Hiring is undergoing a revolution. Almost all Fortune 500 companies now use some form of automation. She keeps winking at me. And then- yeah, the great tragedy here too is, you know, the learn to code people. <laughs> I laugh because they think it's only going to be the blue collar jobs that get replaced. No, 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 no. It's the white collar jobs that get replaced first. The people that push paper around, the people that do, you know, mathematics, they do equations, they crunch numbers, they count beans. These are the jobs that get replaced first. Not the guy driving the truck. Not the guy shoveling shit. But you, the white collar guy, you're out the door first. Rolling her eyes at me. Lady Fritz asks a good question. Why are they hiring a sales representative when they can just build another robot? Well, we unfortunately, we haven't, you know, we haven't normalized yet to the idea of being sold a product by a robot over the phone. However, however, if you cast your mind back to last year and the year before, did you not hear about all of the programs where a person on the phone can mimic human responses? So they're working on that. They're working on that. I guess we need real life humans in order. I, we, I guess we need real life humans to sell the AI technology to the other humans, and then we replace the real life humans once people have bought it. I think that's the way it goes. <laughs> but many companies are also trying to look under the hood of job applicants and assess them in completely new ways. Mapping your facial, You're quantifying human behavior, human expressions, human voices, turning that into data. We're now using artificial intelligence to help companies find the very best talent. In most- Did you hear what he said there, the interviewer? I'll play it one more time. And assess them in completely new ways. You're quantifying human behavior, human expressions, human voices, turning that into data. We're now using... Turning that into data. Do you see the other point here that doesn't often get spoken about? The projection of your digital self, which up until now includes things like the links you post, the photos you post, the pages you follow, the websites you read, and so on and so forth. This creates, if we get, we get all of these data points, it, it creates a kind of psychological profile of you online, a digital person, a digital version of yourself. Now you have to add into the mix that all of these things, mapping human behavior, mapping you know the way your face reacts when you hear certain information, the tone of your voice when you speak, all of it 
is now being added into this, you know, this biometric mix as well. In many cases, against your will, like we said in that previous article, they're scraping up millions and millions and millions and millions of photographs off the internet of ordinary people in order to develop this software. James says they are looking for potential problems and using AI to deny unstable personalities. So people having a bad day will not get a job, making your day worse. Could be true. But the, the scary part is when you think about it, you don't own your digital self. The digital representation of you stopping cumbency or you real person politics or you sin soaked or you Angela or you Lady Fritzer, that doesn't belong to you. That belongs to an an array of different companies and research firms. You don't own yourself on the internet. Corporations own you. You have no rights to ownership of your own digital projection, your own digital self. You are merely data to be poured into an algorithm. You're not a human being. You're, you're a data point. You're a photo posted on Facebook seven years ago. And so when you get deplatformed or depersoned off the internet, in the future world, arguably, you will cease to exist. If every particular aspect of modern life as we move forward is going to be based more and more and more in the cloud, so you can't get a job interview unless a robot reads your face, you can't get money out of the bank unless you scan your card first or your chip, You might even need one to log on to the internet in the first place. They want that. They're looking for that avenue, that opening. You will cease to exist in the future if you're a problem. job is to take a pizza off the end of this line and put it into the oven. Pretty cool, huh? Pretty cool, huh? Not only does Bruno... Pretty cool, huh? No, it's not pretty cool. It's not fucking cool at all. You know why? Because if somebody's making you food in a restaurant, if a human being is making a pizza, there is, there is humanity in that pizza. I know it sounds ridiculous. I know it sounds ridiculous. But the, the, the love, the passion of making the pizza in the first place is what gets the pizza made. The care that's taken to spread the, the sauce a certain way. The mood the guy was in when he was spreading the ingredients around the top of the pie. Standing by the oven, watching it perfect, like p- perfecting. The amount of time it's in the oven until it just gets that just crispy golden brown just right. There's spirit in it. There's soul in it. And I'm not trying to sound like some new age emotional wanker here. But something as simple as making a pizza is a manifestation. It is a display. It is a projection of humanity itself. Exactly. Lady Fritzer gets it. Ingredient of love. And what if you take that out? If you take the human element out of making a pie? It's cold, robotic, instructional, procedure. And we're just talking about making a pizza. What happens when we're talking about dealing with other people? Hiring people, firing people. You know, they're very, they're very correct to say that if you interview with a robot, if you interview with an AI program, then the emotion will be taken out of the situation. The emotion will be removed. What potential problems might arise when you remove emotion from human interaction, do you think? 
looking forward. They'll make a great artisanal pizza pie. He never calls in sick. For argument's sake, it's a he. He never needs a vacation, no pension or benefits, and he doesn't complain. In many ways, he's the perfect employee. Do you like truffles? Sure. The perfect employee is one that doesn't exist. The perfect employee is one that is not human at all, right? How long till the perfect citizen is one that is a robot? The perfect politician, the perfect job interviewer, the perfect cabbie, the perfect pizza delivery guy, the perfect pilot, as we've seen in a couple of, you know, instances over the last few months. Why, if we could just, if we could just take humans out of the equation, wouldn't we all be better off? Wouldn't that be a future you'd want to embrace? One without you? Of Zoom Pizza, Alex Garden, an expat Canadian living in Silicon Valley, calls this a cobot environment. It's a seamless marriage of robots and humans working together. Right now, Noel's making a little bit of crust using these machines. Robots and humans working together. Isn't it wonderful? It's like a Dr. Seuss book. Isn't it gorgeous? And then we have these sauce dispensers. These are Pepe and Jojo, and their job is to put the sauce exactly in the center of the pizza. So this they're even name. They're even naming the pizza the sauce poppers. This is Marta, and Marta's job is to spread the sauce. Uh, it's not even two years yet, um, but we've already won uh, over 10% of the market share in our trade area, um, and without really trying. Cutting edge technology will soon enough make this totally automated from start to finish. In five years, you may even have a drone or a self-driving car delivering your pizza. On the upside, though, uh, at least the drone won't be dropping its testicles into a bowl of salsa before it delivers it to your door. That's a, that's a plus. That's a plus. This disruption of the labour force has been sneaking up on people for decades. With technology taking on jobs in manufacturing and agriculture, any type of manual labor has been a target, making some jobs obsolete. But artificial intelligence is taking it further. The target right now and in the future, white collar work, as computers are able to compete with the human brain in more complex ways than ever before. They can learn and analyze, and that means highly educated and high paying jobs are the next big target. The concern, if people don't take this seriously, they'll be left without work. Really, it's happening already, but it's in a subtle, uh, slightly unseen way. So it's not just... Sunil Johal is a Canadian expert in technology and public policy. He says Canada could see anywhere from 1.5 to 7.5 million jobs lost over the next decade due to automation. While there's no consensus on just how many, the fact is jobs are already being lost. We're used to the manual labor jobs being taken by uh, machines, but now we're starting to see in uh, fields like medicine. Oh, now, now it's getting real, isn't it, all of a sudden? Law, investment banking, dramatic increases in the ability Thanks for dropping in, BE. As well or better than see you next time. And that's really the game changer uh, here because that's something that we've never seen before. Think about banking. ATMs started replacing bank tellers in the 90s. Not that long ago, Goldman Sachs employed 600 highly paid U.S. cash equity traders. Today, there are just two. They get the same amount of work done with the help of 200 computer engineers. I don't think outsiders would necessarily know that people are losing their jobs to software. But as a, an employee of the bank, you know, it was everywhere. So everyone was aware of it. Tori Shorman worked in the mortgage department at a major Canadian bank. She sat by and watched as her colleagues were shown the door. I witnessed about 40% of my department get laid off. And the what a wonderful future we have in store for you, dear citizen, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls.
a future where AI algorithms map your facial reactions, your emotional dispositions by things you post on Facebook against your will, against your consent, where we can collate all of the data between the websites you visit, the people you follow, the comments you make, <clears throat> and you know, devise an accurate psychological assessment of you using supercomputers to analyze millions and millions and millions of data points independently and super fast to be more effective than sitting down with a psychologist one-on-one, for example. Where you'll go into a job interview to be met with not a human that you can talk to and topics that you can talk about, but a machine which will coldly, matter-of-factly remove all emotion from human interaction at that level. And if you're lucky enough to get the job, well, you're probably going to be replaced at some point anyway. So what happens then? Well, then we have politicians who I'm sure feel that they're always going to be employed perhaps unwisely, uh, politicians will then start pushing for things like universal basic income. So then we can all sit around at home, add more data into the system, add more data to the digital projection of ourselves, which we do not own, which is in fact owned by corporations, tech companies. We can sit around on our universal basic income and order pizzas that are made by machines and delivered by drones. If you're lucky enough to speak to another human being in this solitary world of dehumanized interaction, you better be careful because you wouldn't want to commit some kind of microaggression. You wouldn't want to say the wrong thing. People are always saying the wrong things to each other. It's very difficult nowadays to just talk to people. You don't know. That person might be upset. That person might be depressed. That person might be on the end of their tether. Gee, I wish we could just talk to a robot instead. Things are so much easier when we take human beings out of the equation, don't you think? And so in a last fit of rage, in a last fit of fury, trying, trying to scream out against this blanket that's being thrown over you, trying to speak out against the oxygen being sucked out of the room, you'll turn to your politicians and you'll say, why don't you do something about this? Why don't you do something? What the hell are we going to do? And your elected official that you elected in good faith, who you trust, has your best interests at heart, is already on the take by one of the companies looking to dominate your life. And they'll sit them down in a, you know, in a kind of reverse Soviet show trial. We have nothing to fear from automation technology. I appreciate that my car, my custom-built car, was built in two days in, instead of two weeks. Are you opposed to technology, sir? Have you been posting to the Facebook And then it's all over. We'll be outsourcing our decisions along with our personalities to the highest bidder without our knowledge. I think it's something we all need to keep an eye on before we're replaced entirely. And again, it's, it's something that not many politicians are talking about. They wouldn't want to talk about it. They'd have to address it. Let's just see how this works out. Again, no oversight. The people, quote unquote, are just a farm. A farm of spare parts. A farm of digital spare parts to be used and abused and sold 
and manipulated, collated, manufactured, and smashed up against you against your will. Lady Fritzer says, isn't Boogie a breath of fresh air and sunshine and flowers? (laughs) Well, maybe we can end on a high note. Too ugly to be raped. Ladies and gentlemen, Tucker Carlson. All of a sudden, Tucker Carlson doesn't seem like such a misogynist at all. Inquiry launched after convictions quashed. Two Peruvian men convicted over the 2015 assault successfully argued that a woman was too masculine to be a victim. (laughs) This is in Italy. Where else? Italy appears to be adjusting at a fantastic speed, ladies and gentlemen. An inquiry has been launched into an appeal court ruling that over into an appeal court ruling, pardon me, that overturned a rape verdict on the grounds that the victim was too ugly to be raped. The the ruling has sparked a wave of protests in Italy, including a flash mob on Monday outside a court in Ancona, the Adriatic coastal city where the rape is alleged to have happened. Protesters shouted shame, holding up signs saying indignation. Two Peruvian men convicted of the 2015 assault successfully argued the woman was too masculine to be a victim. I don't care. I don't I don't care what I'm up for. If it's a fucking parking ticket, I want that lawyer. <laughs> but your honor, your honor, my clients would never have raped this woman. Do you see how masculine and ugly she is? <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> You have got to have, like, you've got to have balls that drag on the ground to come up with a defense like that, don't you? You've really got to have big swinging balls, man, to put that to a jury, to put that to a judge. Your Honor, I cannot see in any circumstance how my client would have raped this hideous woman. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Couldn't believe it. Italian women's group Rebel Network, which organised the protest, tweeted, Rape does not fulfil a desire for pleasure, but an abominable hatred and contempt for the victim. It does not depend on how feminine you are, but on the hatred inside the rapist. And this is unfortunately where the feminists come up against some kind of difficulty, because regardless of my own personal feelings, it's just a statement of fact that, again, unfortunately for the feminists, Quantifying the level of hatred inside a rapist is very, very difficult to do. It's mainly subjective. But quantifying the ugly on the outside of the alleged victim, well, anybody can do that. (laughs) I know I'm a terrible person. I think that'll do us for another night. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Thanks, everyone, for sharing. Thanks for joining us over here on YouTube. Hopefully, we can build this little thing up. See how we go. And we didn't get anybody subscribe. I've got all these little gadgets, all of these little subscription gadgets and whatnot. Nobody wants to play, but that's all right. (laughs) That's all right. It doesn't matter. If you'd like to become a supporter of the show, please head over to patreon.com forward slash boogie bumper. Or you can hit the Streamlabs link in the description box. If you'd like to become a subscriber of the podcast, the podcast, then please do so by hitting that subscribe button on your preferred podcast player. And if you'd like to tell me how ugly I am and there's no possible way that you could subject me to intercourse against my will, then please head over to Twitter and search for at Boogie Bumper. Don't forget the free for all tomorrow night, 11 o'clock. I'll send out a tweet asking for your correspondence, asking for things that you want to talk about a bit earlier in the day. And we'll do a marathon. We'll be back on Periscope as well for that. I don't know if people prefer to watch on YouTube or Twitch or Periscope. Spider Venom, send it through. Send it in. (laughs) Send it in for tomorrow's show. So until then, ladies and gentlemen, thanks again for watching. Stay calm, stay rational. God bless. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.
Thanks, everyone. See you tomorrow night. Hope you can join us. We'll have a bit more fun. Won't be the death of humanity. It may be the death of comedy. We'll see. See you tomorrow.